Welcome to the Make the Future podcast. I'm your host, Jacques Beauvais, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Ottawa. Join me as I connect with our alumni, students, industry partners, and researchers to explore the future of technology and innovation and how, through creativity and collaboration, we can make our own future. They say the future is coming, but that's not true. The future is already here. And it's relentless. It's not going to wait for you to catch up. How will we live in this future? How will we make sense of it? To define our course, we need a new perspective. One that engages our curiosity, that activates our imagination, one that defies the conventional. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it. Welcome to today's podcast. This is our final episode of the first season of our Make the Future podcast. It comes at an ideal time as we're in the final preparation phase for this year's convocation. We wanted to share with students a look into what's waiting for them after campus life. I'm joined by two of this year's graduating cohort, plus one of our 2014 alumna, and one of our students who still has a year yet to go. I'll ask them questions to get their view on what they expect will be coming next, how they've fared so far with their professional experiences, and what they would like to have known when they started their university journey. We'll also talk about diversity in the workplace and entrepreneurship too. Welcome to today's podcast. We're going to be chatting about a subject that's forever on students' mind, which is graduation and what comes next after graduation. So we have a, a group, a diverse group of, uh, of students and former students and alumni with us today. Sarah de Carufel, a two-time UOttawa alumni from the Faculty of Engineering with a Master's of Applied Science in Civil Engineering, who was also part of the GG's track and field and soccer teams. She currently works as R&D Technical Associate at Giatech. Welcome, Sarah. Bonjour. Jerry Fengwei Zhang is a University of Ottawa student finishing his Bachelor in Software Engineering, who was recognized with the award of Canada's 2019 Developer 30 Under 30. He's just begun working as a software applications developer at Mitel. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you. Glad to be here. Anita Popescu, a recent alumna for the Faculty of Engineering with a Bachelor in Computer Science, who has a passion for developing applications that simplify tasks for a wide range of users. She currently works as a photos engineer at Apple. Welcome, Anita. Good to be here. And Humam Shweik, who is a current mechanical engineering and computing technology student going into his final year, who is an avid maker and has worked at the Brunsfield Center since 2017. Welcome, Humam. Happy to be here. So to begin, it might be interesting to ask you all, why did you go into engineering and computer science? Uh, what were you thinking when you chose the field of study since you're, you've either entered the tech workforce or you've nearly completed your degree? And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how you were seeing at the beginning and how you see it today towards the end of your studies or having just completed. So maybe start with you, Anita. Sure. Um, this is a really great question. I definitely get that all the time from a lot of my UOttawa colleagues uh, that are also uh, in engineering and not in engineering. Uh, so I went into this with um, 
kind of an interesting perspective. Uh, I was at first really wanting to do biomedical sciences um, because I wanted to do something uh, with healthcare. And computer science is kind of like one of those, oh, well, I'll do the degree in case I want to do something with the, the medical field or whatever because I know that you can go into uh, – you can go into a uh, career in medicine with any type of undergrad. So at the beginning, it started off as kind of a backup. And so it's crazy to think that this backup got me to where I am now, uh, being able, fortunate enough to do this podcast from uh, my apartment uh, working in California. So uh, engineering was at first kind of, yeah, that, that sort of backup because I knew that everything revolves around computers nowadays. But um, I knew that I liked it going into university. I'd taken uh, two courses when I was in high school, but I knew that uh, a lot of university programs uh, introduce you at the beginning uh, very easily to engineering and to computer science. Um, so I kind of went into it with um, a whole array of expectations, but uh, going through uh, these all of my courses and then getting the chance to do uh, these tech internships while I was still in school, um, I have a whole other perspective of it. And I realized just how important it is to focus on the aspects of the computer science. And I've, um, after having done that, I can just safely say that um, where I am now and my stance in, uh, in computer science is very different than that uh, first impression of, oh, well, let's just do tech because I think that tech is a good backup. Like it's not only a good backup. It's a very good uh, number one choice as well. What about you, you Jerry? Has, what, what was your driving uh, motivation in the beginning and has that changed over the years? Uh, it's kind of funny. I, I started off, um, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting story. I got an iPod shuffle um, as a Christmas gift uh, in somewhere like around 2010 or something. And I was looking at this little device. It looks like a piece of gum. And I was thinking like, how how does that work, right? You you plug your USB port into the headphone jack. This is impossible. You know, headphone jack is for audio. It's not for like file transfer. Um, so I started to to realize, oh, there's actually another piece behind the hardware. It's it's called the software. And then I started following all kinds of tech news and and then you know um, uh, knowing all these tech companies and knowing all these different streams of technology that they were using that got me really into, you know, the software engineering world. And that's just a, you know, very, it's, it's a very interesting start to, to, you, to you realize. You almost it. reverse engineered your way into the field. <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, growing up, I play with computers. I, I, you know, tinker with, you know, parts. You know, I open MP3 players up. But I've never, you know, realized, um, you know, there's a differentiation between hardware and software, right? I thought it was just always one piece, and you buy it, and it just works. But it, that's not the case, apparently. I, I realized that in a very, very late age. And, and then, you know, that got me really into, you know, software. What about you, Sarah? Um, well, my uh, parkour is a bit different. Um, I'm actually from Quebec, um, so... Uh, one of the reasons why I went to university a bit uh, earlier uh, was because I didn't want to do French or I didn't want to do psychology or anything. So I was like really into maths, really into physics. And I always liked, um, like I went, the first time I went to New York, I was like, oh my God, it would be so cool if I can actually build those buildings. Um, so that's what kind of got me interested in uh, civil engineering. And this is why um, I, I focus on structural engineering and 
nowadays, it's, it's funny because right now that's not what I do. It's absolutely not what I do, uh, but I still love it. Um, I still work in materials uh, for construction industries. Uh, but, but you're closing in on the computer yeah. science uh, uh, aspect of things, right? At Giatech? Yeah. Because they're into the sensors and... The, yeah, the... exactly. So we're kind of a mismatch with technology and um, and uh, just the raw, like, stru- like civil engineering, if you want to. But yeah, that's really what got me into it. I, I thought it would be, like, what if I can build a building? Like, now, like, I walk... I walk sometimes I walk through buildings and I'm like, oh, this is how the load's distributed. Like this is what this does. This like it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> you're doing constant analysis of the things. Sometimes but, I, do but that. I understand that and from your interest initially, but so what got you into track and field and into on the GG soccer team? Because that that's a lot of investment of your energy and your time. It is. Um so I've been playing soccer my whole life. Like since I can remember. And um I re- I really love it. And I, I was always really, really quick. So I got into track and field at the same time, at the same time as soccer in high school. And then I really wanted to pursue, um, just keep going, because I really loved it. And um, I was lucky enough to be part of the university, like the GG's team, and which won this year. Uh, I was so happy for them. Like I was watching the game from, from the stands, obviously, because I'm too old to play now. But um, I just, for me, was, uh, I, I think it's really important to have a balance between um, going to school and actually doing, like having some um, activities. Uh, and I think it helped me more than anything. People, the first thing people tell me, you're crazy. Like, how did you do engineering and two sports? They just think I'm crazy. And I think it was just a way for me to like every day spend three hours not thinking about school. Just let it all out. So yeah. <laughs> That's good. Humam. So you're you're not finished yet. You're not yet an alumni. No, not yet. How how what brought you to engineer and engineering? How do you see it today and what do you think is waiting for you? Um, well, it's funny, you know, when I was a kid I I was technical because I wanted to play games and I wanted to mod them. And so that's how I got into tech and because I would like get mod packs and then I realized, you know, some things had bugs and I like, what's a bug? And then I figured uh, like, oh, that's just software errors and realizing there's engineers and teams behind everything. And um, I quickly got into electronics and uh, software after that. Um, And then once that happened, I finished high school. I took a year off. And I um, worked for a company uh, called Pro Advantage. They do rapid prototyping. And I was doing uh, some grunt work, but they also just kind of gave me a project to do. It was to make a, what's called a CNC pick-and-place machine. Um, they gave me all the components, and they were like, figure out the rest. And so a friend of mine who was also same high school, same time, uh, also got the counterpart to that job. And so we ended up just working on it, and we had a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it. And actually, at the end, we had a working product, which no one expected. And I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe software isn't my field, because I loved the hardware aspect, too. So I just went ahead and combined both of them. I saw I was going to go into mechatronics, but when I was applying to schools, I searched mechatronics, and then UAuto popped up with a double degree program. I was like, oh, two, that's better than one, right? And so I, that's how I got here. And you spend some time working at the Brunsfield Center, too. So you're helping to train some of the students already. Right. 
Yeah. So, um, and making I, sure they keep all their fingers right. Yeah. In the, in yeah. the workshop. Yeah. Uh, mostly successfully. So, um, yeah, actually in high school, I did a lot of shop. Um, because I wasn't always, uh, I, I wasn't always like a student who got good grades and I'm still not, I'm not a very good student. And I don't lie about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I had that hands-on aspect coming into university and in sec, in my third year summer, I, we were, there was a class called entrepreneurship from engineers. It's a fourth year class. I decided to take it over the summer and I met a few people there and we tried to start a company. Um, and eventually that company went under cause we hit a wall of R and D that we couldn't get past. Um, but as part of that, we were converting a lawnmower to run on hydrogen as an analog for something else that wasn't our <laughs> that wasn't our uh, business model. But yeah, so we were doing that and we did it at the Brunsfield Center. And I had just quit my old job because I wanted to focus on school and graduate sooner. Uh, and then uh, Richard, who, run, who ran the Brunsfield Center at the time, uh, asked me to apply because Seed had started their hiring process. And I applied and I got the job. So Jerry, how you've you're also running a podcast, so you're yeah. also talking to a lot of people. Right? Why are you doing that? Um, I feel like um, that the podcast is in, is in Chinese that I created. By okay. the way, um, I feel like um, I, I, I've always been interested in the sound of art. You know, as a very young age, I started playing music, I started writing songs, and then I started listening to radio stations. And 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 um, I'm really sensitive about language too because I came from a family with a um, Korean um, ethnicity background um, in China, which is very uh, interesting, right? Um, so language. What is, do you mean by interesting? Oh, right, because uh, people think about China as 92 percent or whatever, 97 percent Han Chinese, which is the Chinese Chinese, yeah. and then uh, the rest of the three um, percent or whatever are the minorities in China, and there are a huge population. It's it's still a huge population, mm -hmm. and um, they're they're often you know um, staying at the border or um, some kind of some kind of town where they, they have their own autonomy. So my mom came from um, uh, northeastern China, um, uh, which is a region that is very close to Korea, and she. Um, Growing up speaking Korean um, until she was 19, about 19, 18 years old, she had never speak a word of Chinese. And she moved into a city um, where my dad's from and then started to start a university just like I did, you know, moved, moved into Ottawa. So um, my mom would, um, you know, my mom started learning Chinese basically a couple of couple of years before I was born, <laughs> which is very interesting. Right. So when I was growing up, um, I, I, I can tell that um, I never know that she had an accent. Um, I never know that um, our environment is different from what she came from. And then um, when I started to grow up, I, I, I've, you know, I started to realize there is a differentiation between languages. There is a differentiation between cultures that, that got me really into different kinds of languages and different um, representation of cultures. So therefore, I started, you know, learning English and, and listening to all kinds of different um, programs in English. And that um, got me really into podcasting mm. because, you know, um, as a as a podcasting as a medium is is um, has been really exploding in the past couple of years. Uh, but I started listening like around 2013, 14, when I just started university because I was, you know, out in the East living alone and then, um, you know, 
Um, school is very hard at the first year, second year. So uh, podcasting is kind of a way for me to mitigate that kind of stress and, uh, and, and you know, be focused and be more energetic. So um, later on, you know, I started to uh, accumulate all these knowledge on how people make podcasts and how indie podcasts work and how do you set up, you know, a, a, a CMS or a blog for a podcast. So I started doing that. Um, and and the reason why I created this, this show is called Tech Fusion is because I found uh, there is a missing um, there is a missing part in the Chinese tech community. Um, it's the North American you know analogy or North American um, ideology is okay. what I would say. Um, you know, focus on privacy. Um, it's been it's only been happening for a couple of years. You know, um, that kind of thing doesn't exist. Um, it exists to a very minimal extent. So I, I kind of wanted to broadcast my ideology on that. Uh, I kind of wanted to uh, maybe educate some of the audiences on those front to, uh, you know, probably potentially influence them on making better software or um, understand tech a little bit better than they used to. So that's how the podcast came about. Well, that, that, that's a fascinating experience too. And Anita, in your case... You actually, you actually did an internship out in California during your undergraduate degree, and now you've moved over there for your job. So how has that experience been? And has anything that you did in, in your undergraduate degree or here at university prepared you to go to the U.S.? Now, when I was a kid, um, going to the U.S. was not a cultural differentiating experience. If when we look at the news today, the U.S. is now growing a little bit different than Canada. Are you seeing that or is that just the way the media presents it? Do you feel like you're in, 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 a, in a different country or does it feel just like back home? And, and what brought you over there? Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely like telling um, this story about what actually at least convinced me to try to apply to get out here. Uh, my brother, he graduated in 2017 from the University of Victoria from uh, law school. And so at the time, I had a couple of colleagues from other schools who were working uh, in the Bay Area at various tech companies. And being on the West Coast, you know, it's a pretty long uh, flight to get from Ottawa over to the West Coast. And since I was already kind of in the neighborhood, I, um, I just uh, parted from uh, my family who went back to Ottawa and I flew down for a week to the Bay Area. And I can definitely say that the experience of being here, um, you definitely, it is a little bit of that, um, you definitely feel the cultural difference of um, being in this environment, just always being surrounded by tech. Um, one of the things that I liked about working, um, I did two separate internships uh, in Ottawa at Shopify. Um, and I loved uh, the culture when I was working there. Um, but then when I left work, um, it's kind of like, Ottawa is definitely a growing industry when it comes to tech like you're seeing lots of different companies popping up especially in downtown but uh you kind of you you start to not have that same sort of experience as you do at, at work when you walk out those doors when i walked out the doors um after uh when i was walking around in san francisco even after hours i could hear people in cafes talking about their startups or popping up their laptops full of all the techie stickers on them you know so uh you definitely feel that there is that sort of that that, that big tech community um out here and that was something that i really just wanted to be a part of because um i feel like i'm constantly thinking about tech nowadays almost 24 7 
uh, and the people around here are very much, very much in that mindset as well. Um, and I know that I'm looking forward to seeing Ottawa start growing into life like that, but um, I definitely am seeing that right now here uh, in the Bay Area. So you spend your days working in the new gigantic headquarters of Apple, is that right? Yes, the spaceship. The spaceship, <laughs> yes. Okay. So how much of a... <laughs> of a of a of an experience as that in terms of a, a you you you've addressed a little bit the working environment but so I'll backtrack just a little bit I'm kind of curious of your of you talking about being totally immersed in the tech culture when all of the your 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 former colleagues around the table here have been talking about spending time doing things not related to the technology or a few hours a day how are you getting through that. Um, I see. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you, even though my managers don't really put as much pressure on me as they would potentially if I was working at a, at a tech startup or, uh, whatever, um, you definitely, uh, feel a little bit of the, that pressure that everyone in the area is the best of the best. They're always delivering. You see people pushing changes at 1130 at night. Um, so I think, um, it, it, my, it really just depends on uh, having a strong uh, uh, ex- outside of work culture within your team. So um, my team and I, like we, we, we're definitely like, we're all aligned on what we like to do and we like doing a lot of, spending a lot of, te- of time in tech, uh, but we'll do tons of things. Otherwise, like uh, going out on a team outing, we'll go for hikes around here because there's tons of different places um, to explore nature. Um, we'll go to off-sites, uh, um, we'll play bocce. Uh, so there's a lot of different other things that we do to kind of separate ourselves from just being immersed in the work that we're doing every single day. Um, so we definitely, like, they, the techies out here definitely do know how to let loose and have fun. Um, and uh, I think that that's, that work-life balance is something that uh, everyone who is, uh, at least out here, this is what I had to learn, uh, that work-life balance is something that you have to really figure out on your own. Uh, so other things that I like to be involved with around here is uh, uh, just uh, spending time uh, with other colleagues of mine from my previous internship uh, and uh, just going uh, out with, uh, um, yeah, just just trying to do a bunch of um, other things uh, besides your work. Um, and then, uh, luckily enough, the company culture has lots of other activities and stuff to participate in. Like, there's a, there are volleyball teams, badminton teams, music clubs. There's an acapella group. So there's definitely lots of different things to get your to get your mind off of work when you need it because of that work-life balance. So uh, on your side, you spent a lot of hours in the GG's teams. You had that good balance. Yeah. You said you were looking for it. You had it. Have you been able to maintain a sense of that in, now that you're working? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, like, after five years of, like, training three hours every day, like, I got injured, obviously. Um, so, I had to slow down a bit. Okay. <laughs> I still play soccer um, two to three, that, uh, roughly two, two times a week. Um, I bike. I hike. I spend a lot of time outside. So, I did definitely keep that... Um, sports life uh with work and i do try to keep as much time possible as possible after work or on the weekends to you know to do some activity and work out what about you ma'am 
you're listening to them talk. Mm-hmm. Everybody's spoken about that importance of the balance. Are, right. are, are you, are you, you think you're in the right place right now or do you have uh, concerns or, I mean. So in, have, uh, in May, uh, we started a company with a couple of friends. And so right now we've just been focused on that. So no uh, balance. No balance, no. <laughs> but it's, um, I'm not really taking classes right now. So the, okay. that's, uh, that's the balance. And once school starts, there will be no balance. But I'm kind of used to it now. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. Starting your own company is different. It's not, the work you do doesn't feel like work. I find myself just like, oh, I'm here till uh, 10 p.m. start of garage. Uh, and uh, just like, oh, the time when I have to get up tomorrow. Crap, I got to get home now. Um yeah, so it's it's different. I'm sure uh, Jerry can talk a little bit more mm-hmm. about this too, and I'll have plenty of questions for you. Uh, <laughs> nice. Some dilemmas you might mm-hmm. you might have gone through. Yeah. So what about Jerry? It's uh, it's different starting your own company. It is because you're totally in control, but at the same time, right, your company doesn't have any value, and you're not on a paycheck. And it's kind of very because um, you don't see the future. You're basically. Everything's uncertain, and that's the most uh, frustrating part about it. Because you know you've been working on a particular technology or a particular piece of software for you know two, three years, and and um, you are have you're having zero customer because the software is not finished yet. And then you have uh, and you ha- have this big dream about you know one day becoming a tech giant. Of course, every tech entrepreneur have that, right? Um, this kind of um, the, the the dream and the reality, the dismatch between them is is it's very frustrating, and it could uh, you know totally mentally destroy uh, me if you don't manage it correctly. But I found like um, work is more exciting than everything anything else, right? Um, as long as you invest in it, as long as you believe in um, the work you do, and you believe in the technology the technology that you're trying to build, um, all of that stress and all of that. Um, all of that, you know, self-doubt would go away um, once you see a working prototype or once you see a working iteration. And that's just the most rewarding part about being um, a tech founder and being um, in, being someone who can create things using your bare hands. And that's just very exciting. Did you have a lot of people working with you? A small team, I guess? Yeah, or? a very small team. Uh, we just had a, you know, tech team. Um, we have a team of... Five. Okay. Yeah, and uh, four are tech, and one is the CEO. Okay. So, um, the among the team, we ma- we basically manage everything online because everything is basically remote. Okay. Even though three of us are in the same town, we tend to work things out that way. Um, it, it's just a little bit better to have a bit more privacy and not getting uh you know synchronous communication all the time because that's a big time waster. Um. So yeah, it's a it's a very small team, and we tend to uh, go easy on the communication stuff. Previously, I had a few talks. With, uh, oh, go ahead, Anita. Sorry, uh, I'm just curious. How did you uh, manage to recruit or have those engineers join your team? Uh, it's so mostly through when it comes to pitching your startup. Yeah, it's mostly through referrals or just friends of friends, because uh, we knew that you know someone is really good at doing something like you know DevOps or um, you know. Uh, front-end development or back-end development, we just drag them in, and that's basically how we recruit people. <laughs> it's very uh, simple and sometimes very unorganized. I've had a, uh, yeah. the chance to talk with a few of, of entrepreneurs in, in the podcast before, and one thing that they've all shared at one point is a sense of responsibility 
for the colleagues in the company in terms of succeeding because eventually as you grow, you start to have an awful lot more people depend on you. Do right. you have that sense or is it still too early days yet? Or It's too early, but still you got to manage all the you know issues or all the, all the tasks, right? Um, as a lead developer, sometimes you need to define those tasks and sometimes you need to you know analyze, oh, is this really going to take two weeks? Is this going to really take one week? And then you assign the tasks to them and wishing they can finish it on time or... Um, if they don't, it's kind of your fault because you're you're basically designing it wrong or you're defining it wrong. And yeah, it's a it's a very big responsibility even for a very small team. One can question I'm curious for Anita and and Sarah. So Anita, you joined the tech giant. You're there now. Um, question is very important for me and for us here. What is the diversity like in your team? Are you are you unique in your team? Are you the only woman in the team? Or, or do you have a lot of diversity in your team right now? Uh, so funnily enough, uh, when I was, um, when I was an intern last year, uh, we have, so we have the way that uh, seats are set up and pods where we're just kind of in pseudo rows of three uh, with like glass doors on either side. Um, and so there are about 11 seats in our pod. Um, I, myself and my other female coworker, Luna, we were the only two last year. Uh, but then I came back to that same pod again, basically sitting in almost the same spot. And uh, now we're up to uh, five uh, girls in that pod, which is absolutely amazing. So the 50% of our pod is uh, women. But sadly, uh, for all the pods across my um, my the overarching team, which is camera and photos, uh, we have most of them in our pod. So okay. there is still, at least for the, for the uh, women in tech aspect, uh, there is still a lot that needs to, um, where we need to grow. But across the company, uh, we have these things called uh, DNAs. Um, they're called Diversity Network Associations. And uh, they consist of lots of different groups uh, for, um, to, that, are, that are represented within Apple. So there's a DNA for women at Apple, black at Apple, uh, Latin, uh, Latinx at Apple. And uh, it's, so Apple, at least um, out of a lot of the tech companies, uh, tries to do a lot to, uh, to help with, um, uh, to help us feel like we, we have just as much of a say, uh, we have just as much of a voice. And um, I definitely feel like uh, I've learned a lot about uh, a lot of other people's stories, a lot of people's struggles as well but um overall we do have a lot of uh diversity now just particularly speaking about my team um i personally love my direct team because we have people from all over the world actually um i had co i have colleagues from switzerland from france from bangladesh um from from the u.s <laughs> and uh so uh, it's just really great and my manager is a great guy he's scottish uh, uh he's Super, super fun. So uh, there is a lot of diversity, I would say, um, and uh, there's lots of opportunities for growth uh, within the company. And I think the culture varies from specific team to team, but I think that my team really, really knows how to do it and that um, everyone, I think, is innate, innately understands that, um, that not to, um, uh, what's the word, sorry. <laughs> Um, not to ignore uh, anyone, like ignore, ignore myself uh, for the fact that you know I'm I'm a girl, uh, and so everyone is just as willing and happy to help me as they would anyone else. And for that, I'm just I'm so grateful. I definitely feel like I've 
found a found a place as a woman in tech with um with the culture at Apple and within my team. Well, that sounds really interesting. Um, what about your case, though? Yeah, so uh, it's funny that you asked that question. Um, that was a question I wanted to ask Anita actually, uh, because I'm coming from the construction side, and so you can imagine a woman in construction is not. Um, something you hear a lot like even the other day I was at at a plant and uh the guys that were with me they're like oh my god there's a woman driving the concrete truck and it, they were like so surprised mm-hmm. and so for me that was kind of a concern when I graduated because I was like well there's no woman in that field really and like what are my like I always feel like I have to prove myself way more than um than the men's around me do you feel the same um Oh yeah, like well, there is definitely that feel of imposter syndrome, right? Um, and I, I think uh, after doing a handful of internships, you kind of learn that like you're you're hired there for a reason. But I definitely feel like there's still like there's always something just like a little bit. I've been trying to figure out why, but there's this little like uh, feeling that you get when you talk to like at least like another 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 like female coworker or someone that you feel like you like identify a little bit more and it's just some more of that like innate just comfort and it's not like I don't think that as you've experienced I'm sure you've had excellent uh colleagues uh in your on your on your teams that like are happy to help out but like it is you, that little like level of uh little extra level of comfort if you're talking to someone else like yourself if um I don't know if you feel that way yeah, like, unfortunately, right now, like, the team I work at work, like, the engineering side of things, I'm the only woman. Uh, there's a, well, I work for kind of a tech construction company, so there's a lot, like, uh, a woman in the in the company, like, in the sales, marketing, um, some on the development side of things. Um, but one way I found that to talk about that uh, stuff, I'm, I'm involved in the um, American Concrete Institutes, or ACI, and um, they have that... Um, uh, woman in ACI kind of not club. So every six months, awesome. uh, we go there and then you, you get all the girls together. There's not a lot of us, uh, but it's kind of neat to see like older women that were able to like get a name into the field and see how and get you know advice from them and uh, yeah, just overall like I think it's it's nice to be surrounded by other other women in your um in your field. But hopefully one day it's gonna be more. <laughs> Uh, especially like yeah. I think I think that shouldn't stop any woman that mm-hmm. uh, wants to go in engineering because that was definitely one of my concerns when I graduated. Um, but mm-hmm. I think right now, I mean, maybe you can speak more to this uh, about like the amount of women that uh, are enrolling in the engineering program. I think it's it went up in the last couple of years, so that's mm-hmm. good. Percentage wise, there hasn't been that much of an increase in the last ten years, but in terms of numbers. We've gone from about, over the last 10 years, we've gone from about 400 uh, young women students to over 900. So there's been a huge increase. And we do a lot of outreach activities to try to bring people in. Our outreach team, you know, the Maker Mobile, you may have seen and all that, they interact with 43,000 kids every year in the region through the high school, elementary schools, wow. summer camps and all that. But it's still a challenge. So there are a lot of activities going on. But uh, in, in Canada, Engineers Canada has launched a program that's called uh, 30 by 30. So they want 30% women practicing engineers by 2030. 
it's a steep challenge. Yeah. Okay. I think licensed engineers in Canada are around 17, 18% for women. So there's still a lot of work to be done on that side. What about mm -hmm. your environment, Humam? I mean, you're in another traditional engineering field, mechanical engineering. Right. Are, 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 and you see teams coming to work in the Brunsfield Center mm -hmm. on their project. Do you get a sense of a lot of diversity or do you get the sense that uh, a lot of boys teams showing up and working around you? Right. Um, it it does feel like a lot of boys teams. Um, I've haven't to be clear. I haven't worked in Brunsfield for a while. I've moved mainly okay. to the running the labs uh, for Maker Lab. Okay. Um, but yeah, it seems like the people who end up working the teams may have a lot of women in the design side, but they don't end up working in the Brunsfield Center. Okay. So um, in the machine shop. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we try to be uh, as far as the hiring, like it's pretty even mm -hmm. and um i have nothing to do with the hiring but i'm assuming they're pro trying to be diverse uh, but you're observing that the people working mm -hmm. in the maker labs the maker space the space the center you see a balance there exactly yeah. uh maker space it's pretty even uh -huh. it's the machine shops where it kind of falls behind yeah. um, but i do i want to i do want to add a note of hope um so i do a lot of tours for seed mm -hmm. and often we get uh, tech clubs that want to come in and see the spaces and work there and over not even that long over the past year the tours have been becoming more and more uh female okay. um i had a tour last week and i thought it was an all-girls school but it was it was the programming club at like a middle school and so it, and like the teacher was like oh no this is just a like it came up and, I'm like, and they're like no this is just a regular middle school it's just the two guys didn't come today. That's it. <laughs> and so maybe maybe it's a pendulum thing. Maybe it's I maybe that 30 uh, 30 by 30 is a it's not an ambitious goal. Maybe this maybe we're going to bust through it hopefully. I think the technology side has helped a lot. Like injuring if you go like into like more the technology side there's less of a gap compared to like the industry I'm in or like if you sure. go like rough mechanical engineering like mm -hmm. I spent so many days in the lab like there's not that many like right now I see a lot more women in the lab uh but like that physical manual labor still tends to mm -hmm. like get still away from it and I think it gives women a bit more opportunity to like go towards the field of engineering if they you know they won't right. be involved as uh physically if you want to right so that's been a really interesting discussion, and and it's one in fact that we're going to need to continue in your previous podcasts. We've we've touched on these subjects before. What I'm kind of curious, and maybe to sort of close out, I'd be really curious to see what would you tell yourself from the experience you've had so far when you started in engineering at university. Would you have a message to give yourself as you were coming in with what you've learned now? How about you, Anita? Um, my biggest one is just, um, you know, roll with the punches and, uh, there are going to be lots of doors that open to so many opportunities and, uh, don't leave any door closed because, um, yeah, if there's like one thing that I kind of, you know, I had certain expectations of what the industry would be like. And, um, if I, there are certain experiences that I went through, um, such as going to different career fairs, going to, um, leading up to going to the biggest uh, tech conference uh, for women in computing uh, in Orlando and then Houston, uh, where I got to meet tons of women, and there are over 20,000 women there. And um, that just keep your eyes open to all the opportunities that are out there, because um, 
whether or not it's applying for an internship or taking a cool course you never thought that you'd take, um, mm. like Greek mythology. <laughs> I guess it's um, there's a there's just just keep keep every door keep every door open in case you want to go through it because I definitely wouldn't have gotten here without saying um, without saying potentially yes to lots of different things. Jerry, I agree with Anita a hundred percent. I would tell myself just keep on pursuing different streams of, uh, you know, interests. As long as you're interested in it, um, as long as you're uh, working hard, um, you will, you know, eventually get some result out of it. Um, whether it's bad or not, it's an experience for you to uh, gain some knowledge from, right? Um, sometimes um, I've been telling myself this for, you know, over the years I've been telling myself this, uh, just just try to break the box. You don't want to limit yourself. You don't want to uh, put a label on yourself because it's bad. You're you're basically being pushed into a corner where you never get out. Um, if you have this a diverse skill set, if you have uh, a different kinds of interests and hobby, it it will come back eventually to benefit you because learning is universal and 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 experience is universal. They can tra- it's transferable and. Um, the, the, the way of learning um, and the result of the learning, it's always common because, um, you know, you're benefiting from it. Um, and then um, the way of, sorry, the way of learning and the result of the learning is always common because you're always benefit from that experience. Oh, I totally agree with them. Uh, I would say no, don't close any doors. And and just to add to this, like sometimes you're going to do stuff, you, you know, you're not, uh, this kind of sucks. Like, but you know, like you have to push through it. You're gonna learn something from it, and as long as you enjoy what you're doing, I think it's. Hamam, you still have time, Hamam, to keep the doors open. <laughs> yeah. You still have a year left. But what no. would you tell yourself? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I honestly, like, I, I'm gonna say it again. I agree 100. Uh, percent Roll with the punches. I mean, things happen. You can't plan for everything, so don't try. Um, it's. I wouldn't be in my second startup right now if. I didn't fail a course in second year. Um, so, you know, every, not to say that failing is like this thing you should try to do, but um, yeah, like just things happen. And just, uh, I see this happen all the time. So I just want to mention it. If you're ever doing something just so you can put it on a resume, you're doing it wrong. So like stand back. Okay. Why am I doing this? Cause uh, we see that happen all the time. I'm sure Anita, you see people coming in, with resumes that'll say, oh, I did this and this and this, and then you ask them about it and they don't know anything about mm. it. Share with you, same with you. Yeah. Well, those are very wise words for the uh, for yourselves back then, but for all the students <laughs> who will be listening to this. Mm-hmm. I, I really like what you said, Hamam, at the end there about uh, don't do something just to put it on your CV. Yeah. Yeah, and and it sounds time. as though the message <laughs> is like, do things for your passion do things that are, are driving you, learn yeah. from it, and, and don't shut the door. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're do- not doing it right. Exactly. If you have to come back home at night at 5 and you're like, oh, this was a horrible day, yeah. your life is going to be yeah. long. I have to be the old guy and say that those days happen. Oh, yeah, it for does. sure. And, and for eventually sure. during your careers, you're going to have periods at one point. And it's not just coming back home and saying this was a horrible day. It's those days where 
you're searching for your motivation to get up and go into work. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. are the really, yeah. really tough ones. That hasn't happened often to me, but it has happened at one time. And those are the tough periods. But that's yeah. when you depend on your colleagues. That's when I found that working in a team mm -hmm. and having your colleagues with you and having that group support, you, you, because these were issues we were all going through together. And that really helps you get through the, the those periods and get back. And I want to thank really mm -hmm. all four of you for sharing some of the, your experience, some of your ideas. Anita, I'm going to see you next week uh, at graduation. Sarah, when did you graduate? Uh, three years. Uh, my master's three yeah. years ago. Okay. And then uh, undergrad like five years ago. Okay, so you've been on, on yeah. in the job market for a while now. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, Anita, I'll see you next week. Humam, I'll see you in a year. Hopefully, and yeah. for those of you, I hope to get to see you around the faculty when you come back to see us. Oh, I'm going to the lab right after this. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. As mentioned at the beginning, this is our final episode of the season. But we're already working really hard to bring you an even better second season. We'll continue to connect with alumni, students, industry partners, and researchers to explore the future of technology and innovation and how through creativity and collaboration, we can make the future. I'd like to thank everybody who has been involved in the podcast this season. First of all, I'd like to thank the listeners. I'd like to thank all of our many guests. And I'd like to thank everybody in the team in the Faculty of Engineering who's worked to make this happen. So have an excellent uh, summer, and we'll see you again in Series 2. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it.